Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Ken Harris talking about his best-selling. Dr. Ken Harris talking about his Amazon bestseller, Synchronicity. We're going to try this again because technology has made our life difficult today. Ken, welcome to the show. This is feeling like Groundhog Day. Let's do it. Well, thank you, Billy, for taking the time uh, to reach, reach me on another line and start from the beginning. I'm very honored and privileged to be here. Glad to have you. So, so what else? So, why don't you tell? about yourself a little bit before we got into the book get in the book and what brought you to write the book and just a little bit about you okay i um uh, i just retired a year and a half ago i had a family wellness chiropractic practice in new jersey for 45 years it was a multi-doctor facility where we we took care of families from the beginning of life to the end of life i used to say mm-hmm. from the cradle to the grave from the womb to the tomb uh, we had a vitalistic chiropractic practice where we offered people uh, spinal adjustments, nutritional counseling, and we had a series of educational classes ongoing with 30 different practitioners over time coming in and teaching here. Uh, and we were primarily teaching people how to stay well, prevent illness, and maintain their health. We were not back and neck doctors. We never really uh, focused on uh, on the mechanical aspects as much as on the preventative aspects of what truly chiropractic was intended to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, bachelor's degree in, uh, in uh, psychology, a master's degree in education, and a doctorate from New York Chiropractic College. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the last year and a half, I started having a series of synchronicities, and I'll define synchronicity as being, being a meaningful coincidence. It's when two things happen in space and time that are connected in a causal way. But in, in, uh, when they actually happen, you're not always aware of it in the moment. Sometimes you've got to retrospect, connect the dots. Like I didn't know meeting Dan Dorsky uh, out in Long Island on vacation was going to wind up meeting you and being interviewed on this program. But there was a meaningful uh, reason that I met Dan, and here I am being interviewed by you and mm-hmm. speaking to your audience. So. I would call that a, a minor synchronicity. You, okay. you asked me about the different types of synchronicity before. So mm-hmm. there are seven distinct types of synchronistic events. I'll, I'll enumerate them, and I'll talk about one or two and give you an example if you'd like. Would you like mm-hmm. me to do that? Yeah, definitely. Okay, so there's definitely. a precursor synchronicity, a deviation synchronicity, an expansion synchronicity, a message synchronicity, a manifestation one, an opportunity synchronicity, and sometimes there are what we call artificial ones, which don't really have any long-term meaning uh, in any significant way. So precursors are very famous, are very common. Uh, They usually show up when you're having uh, some kind of troubling or distressing time in your life, and you're trying to make a major decision about what path should I continue down or not go down. And many times the precursors happen through dreams. 
You'll have a dream, and you'll be told in a dream sequence of what your next step may or may not be. And then it actually happens in real life. You actually, the dream actually materializes, and you start meeting the people you were dreaming about. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's quite unsettling when that happens because you already have the feeling of deja vu. Since you had it in the dream world, what we call the 5D reality, you're now having it in the 3D world, which is what we call present time consciousness. But that has happened to me numerous times. I had well, there are a lot of, of people that I dream about that I want to meet for real. Can I, can I get this going? Well, here's, here's how it usually works, uh, to be honest with you. You not only have to dream about it, you not only have to hold it in your intention, but you have to elevate an emotion with the intention. There's some neuroscience okay. that supports this. So thinking about it alone is not enough. You have to think about it and then attach an emotional component to the thought. What happens when you think about something? Is it kind of like an, an obsession with it? You have an electrical impulse that's created in your brain. You create neural pathways. You actually create circuitry if you keep thinking about the same thing. Okay. If you can connect an emotion to it, you create a magnetic field which attaches to the electrical impulse. Now you have what we call electromagnetic energy. That's very much like a Wi-Fi signal that you start to emanate or send out into what we call the quantum field. The quantum field is the, the field of infinite possibilities. And you will draw from that field the right date, time, circumstance, people, and events into your life based on connecting your thought with the feeling. Most people will say the mantra over and over, I wish, I want, it never happens. You have to experience the emotion that it has already happened for you. And then it'll it's show It's interesting up. you say that. Um... That's exactly how things have happened. My hug it out America movement is I think about it all the time, like I, I, all the time. I think about it so much. I think it drives my family nuts. I dream about it. It's the first thing I wake up in the morning. It's what I do during the day. No matter if any time or a moment it comes to my head, and all these things have come into play to help me out. The hug it out America ties right into what you're talking about. So you've had quite a few synchronicities in your life, I'm sure. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, the truth is we all have. Everybody has had them. Now, some are more life-changing than others. Some are more. Sometimes when you have one of those synchronistic events happening and you meet a certain person, your life is irrevocably and forever put on a different trajectory or path. Those are very impactful. And you're never, you're never going to be the same person sometimes when you meet the right people at the right time. It's happened to me in my life when I was 28 years old. I heard this famous doctor speak. And there were a couple of hundred people in the room, and everybody else disappeared. And I started to cry in the back of the room, and people next to me said, Are you okay, Doc? What's the matter? And I said, No, I'm fine. I just met the person I've been looking for my whole life. But I didn't know that the person I was looking for was me, because that person was really me in another body. Everything that person was expressing was the, everything I had longed to come to know in myself. So it wasn't about guruism or, or kissing someone's feet. No, I actually saw a reflection, a mirror reflection of myself through the, the expression of another human being. And I studied with this man for 10 years. And my book, I actually dedicate my book to him because after that synchronistic meeting, I had heard about him and then he showed up at the college, so I went out of curiosity to hear him speak. 
I was never the same. That minute or second in my soul changed me forever since, the, since I'm, well, I'm 74 now, so you do the math. I was 28 yeah. when I met the, another doctor. Wow. And uh, you, when they happen, you can never go back. You, you yeah. step through a portal of consciousness, and you're never the same person again. And you're lucky if you have a few of those in your life. <laughs> you, those are very dramatic ones. I mean, that day in that room, everybody else was still there. But from my understanding and consciousness, they had disappeared. Dr. Dr. Bain was just speaking to me that day. It's like we had a private conversation. Can, can so they be things... A good question for you before you can can they be things that you don't want like I mean you were in a situation where you were probably at a maybe a somewhere you wanted to be can it be something that comes into your life that's in your life that you may not realize is something you need in your life at that time I believe that everything that happens to you I believe there's no randomness all the good and so-called bad things that happen serve a purpose Every cloud has a silver lining, they say. So sometimes when so-called unpleasant or not-so-good things seem to happen to us in the moment, when we retrospect, we realize there was always a gift. There was mm-hmm. always a gift hidden in, in the pain or the sorrow or the loss or the grief. Uh, so it's not haphazard. No, no, it, it, it's definitely it works according to law, which is the, the law of consciousness. Everything you think and feel has, has an impact into the field. So you have to be very careful about what you're sending out into the field, what your thoughts are about. You have to be, uh, like, you have to be guarded as far as what you are asking the universe to send you. It'll give you what you ask for, but be careful what you ask for. Hmm. Wow. That, that's, that's interesting. I'm just thinking of several things in my life that, that feel like that, that, you know, that changed me from meetings from people, and I was never the same person. Um, and I, the reason I asked that question is, and it never crossed my mind of just now, but um, I went to boarding school as a kid. I was I was a bit of a troublemaker as a kid, and I got sent off to boarding school for my junior and senior year. And um, the guy that came into my life was, was a teacher of mine, and he was – I thought he was an asshole, and I hated him completely. Um, but he's the first person that got me like I didn't get myself, and he turned me around. He changed me into a different person. The sad thing is I did not appreciate the synchronous event that he gave me of how he changed my life forever until he actually died of cancer after I'd already left the school. But I think that was a synchronous event that I had been – making happen that I didn't even realize by my actions, all the things that I did. Well, you know, they say we project. Everything is a mirror for our own, for our, from the subconscious. It's never conscious. It's usually a subconscious projection uh, into the field. And then we see something that we either love or we hate. But it's both coming from us. It's not coming from the other person. It's an mm-hmm. opportunity for us to wake up to the reality that we are creator beings, We're not victims of anything. We're responsible for everything that happens to us along our life path, good and bad or indifferent. So when you understand that, when you understand that, there's no blaming anyone for anything. You take responsibility for all the good, the bad, and the ugly that comes your way. 
Now, yeah, when I, I, you're I going think that's through an ugly situation that. or a painful situation, most people would say, I never chose this. Are you crazy? I, I, I chose to give myself a heart attack, or I chose to give myself a cancer, or I chose hmm. to give my, uh, lose my job. Not consciously, but subconsciously, we are connected to the field, and that all exists in the field, and we're all impacted by the field. That's why I don't watch TV anymore. Because most of what's on TV today is not positive. It's all gloom yep. and doom. And I don't want to entertain that, and I don't well, want to attract that into yep. my life. We're not, we're not flotsam and jetsam here. We are creator beings. We're not at the whim and will of the capriciousness of, of something outside of ourselves. So sometimes you meet people, you know, for a reason to wake you up. You know, they awaken yep. you to a memory. Other times they're there to encourage you in your path. The, the, the universe sends people to, to inspire you to keep moving in the direction that you're moving. Sometimes they send people into your, you send people into your path, you attract, I should say, and, mm-hmm. and they're there to teach you what not to do next. Never mind what you should be doing. Sometimes it's what you're not to be doing. Other times they come just to remind you of something that you forgot. Sometimes they come in to help us to grow emotionally or, or intellectually or, or uh, emotionally. Many times they come in just to hold space for us and be our friends and not judge us. So there are different reasons why we meet different people. But everyone you meet is a student or a teacher to you in some way. Pay attention. Pay attention. The guy who's pumping your gas, the person at the checkout counter, your mailman, they're all teachers and students to each other. There's always an exchange of energy and information from all the people you encounter in your life path. There are no accidents here. It's interesting what you talked about, which I think what I really like about what you're doing is I feel like there's this kind of mentality, and maybe it was there before, but maybe it's growing more, this idea that we're a victim of everything. And you challenge that notion. I think there's so many people I talk to that feel like, their reason they're doing wrong is, is something because of somebody else, and this puts accountability on yourself. And I really like that. I wonder if you've had people that've read the book that once felt like victims, but after reading your book, they felt like they were in charge of things they never were before. Well, what I'm getting from a lot of people in the uh, reviews and the comments they're sending in is they're they're remembering why they met so and so and -and so-and-so to meet so-and-so. They're connecting their dots, and many of them are finding the hidden blessings in some of the so-called unpleasant things that happened they thought to them. What I'm teaching them is that you're drawing them to you. They're not happening to you. Mm -hmm. And that puts Mm -hmm. a whole different read on it. Because if you stay in the victim consciousness, you're always going to look for the persecutor. Someone did this to me. And then you're going to go looking for the savior. You're going to look for someone to save you. Well, I got the good news and the bad news. (laughs) No one's going to save you but you. When you change your consciousness, then you'll engage and you'll start changing your behavior. But if you're hoping, hoping, hoping that someone or something outside yourself is going to fix you, you're going to wait a long time. You You can never get out of that triangle consciousness, victim, persecutor, savior. You know, I used to tell people, you want the good news or the bad news? And they said, well, what's, what's, the, uh, what's the good news? Uh, what's, the, what's the good news, Doc? And I said, well, <laughs> I, would, I, I said, let's start with the bad news. And uh, I would tell them, you know, there ain't no Indians out there. 
And the mm. Calvary is not going to come and save you. <laughs> because there really are no Indians out there. People have this idea that they're, they're the recipient of something outside their control. And I say nonsense. Nonsense. You have the ability uh, to change if you so choose. So this power of choice was given to us at birth. That, that's the gift we get from the spirit world. We, we, have, we can choose this day whom we shall serve or not serve. So I, I do not believe in victimization or victimhood at all because you never will change. If it's always someone else's fault, that would be like trying to comb the mirror because your hair's messed up. If your hair's <laughs> messed up and you see the mirror's got, you know, the reflection is not good, you're not going to take the comb and try to comb the mirror, are you? Yeah. Yeah, you're gonna comb no, your hair, and then when you look in the mirror, what do you see? I, you see I, a, a I, I agree. Image. Yeah, but it's, but most people want to change. You know, like they want to change who they live with. They want to change where they live. They want to change what they do. They want to change their spouse or their partner. No, 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 no. You change, the world changes. Just the opposite. Yeah, we got it back backwards, outside in and blow up. It's above, down, and inside out. <laughs> it all starts and ends with you. Yeah, and then that's my belief. Anyway, synchronicity is not coincidence. Synchronicity is is a uh, uh, a created a creation of oneself. You, you draw unto yourself like-minded souls for a purpose. Uh huh. So, and that's yeah. That was your, your talk about the reasons we meet certain people at different points in our lives. Absolutely. It's not, it's not, you know, and the timing of it is impeccable. You know, sometimes you meet people, if you met them 10 years before, you wouldn't have even spoken to them. But because you've changed and they changed, then the universe arranges for the meeting at the right time in the right place. And you know it because you, you have an elation. When you, meet, when you meet a fellow, what I call them tribe members, you don't recognize them by what they look like. You recognize them by how you feel in their presence. And if you feel expansive and happy and jovial, like I'm sure when you met Dan back along the way, you guys became instant friends. I'm sure that you and Danny became friends yeah, you know, right did. off the get-go. And Except now you maintain this friendship for the last... <laughs> You've maintained this friendship for the last <laughs> 20 or so years. Well, I met him. I had the same experience. It was like we, we just clicked immediately. Even though we don't agree on everything... There's an inner knowing that we're friends, and we have been friends. Yeah, that's cool. He told me about how y'all met, about the hammock and everything. And <laughs> you mean how I fell out of it? Uh, and he came yeah, over I, I to help me. I didn't get any details. That that synchronicity. <laughs> yeah. I went flying out in the hammock, and he was so kind. You know, I'm a little older than Dan. I think I got a few ten or fifteen years older. So well, not he much came older. over like He's a young He came over like a young whippersnapper wanting to help an old man. You know, I was I was more embarrassed than I, than anything else that I I uh, flipped over on a hammock because he was in a hammock right next to me and he was doing fine, but the hammock was uh, improperly uh, tensioned and I I didn't calculate the amount of tension when I went in I went flying, so anyway we became friends and and that very day our wives met and we had dinner and and we had a couple of synchronistic events happen right then and there, uh, I laughed because I I was telling them about my book. And uh, right then and there, at that night at dinner, uh, his wife met someone she hadn't seen for 30 or 35 years that lived in her town, sat down right next to us. And uh, one thing that. led to another, and they discovered that they had gone to the same high school together or college. And so we were laughing. I said, well, I told you, synchronicity is ubiquitous. Here's an, here's an example of it. 
And he calls me up every now and then and, and tells me another one. So he's been having quite a few of them since he read my book. And so what do you tell – I'm curious. What do you tell the people that say, oh, that that's just random. That happened by chance that that you met those people in that restaurant and that you and – you fell out of there, and Dan just happened to be there, and you know the, the you know doubting Thomas people. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's plenty of doubting Thomas, and it's good to be a doubting Thomas. But if you read the stories of my book, I would say there's not enough time in the universe to arrange it mathematically for what happened to me and, and mm-hmm. how I met various people, and I had sequential synchronicities, one right after another, that lined up perfectly, and, and so I would say it's the chances are slim to none. I don't believe it's mathematics from what I've experienced in my life. The stories that happened to me, people are going to think, he made this up. This is impossible. I'll tell you, I'll tell you really a story that, that's going to blow you away. You want to hear one of my stories? Definitely I want to hear your stories. That's what you're here for, uh, man. Okay, so here's, I'm going to paraphrase. So last November we had an election, correct? It was election day. Right? Yes, the second Tuesday or first Tuesday. So I usually get up very early, and I like to get in and get out because I don't like to wait on lines at the at the election hall. But I woke up that morning. I had a terrible toothache, so I had to deviate from my normal routine. I called my dentist. He says, "Come over right now," which mm-hmm. I did. And when I got out of the dentist's office, it was mid mid morning. It was like ten ten thirty ish. Normally, I'd be in there at six o'clock doing my thing. But I had to go at a different time that day. Why? I go into the election booth, uh, and I've been in this town for 45 years. And so I've been in this same place uh, voting for the last 45 years. And there are six women, and they have, you know, A to Z, A to B, A to G to F, you know, your names, you line up for yep. where you're supposed to. So I go to, my name's Harris, I go to the G and H line. And there's no one else in the election hall at that time. There was a lull. But I look at the woman, who's an older woman, and I look up behind her, and I see these photographs all around the town hall. And I said, excuse me, I said, are these pictures always been here? She says, oh, yeah, they're all the former mayors of our town. Now, I've been mm-hmm. going there. I've never noticed them before. But here's the, here's the back story to this. Several years prior, like 30, I was upstate New York at a conference center, and I was having tea and cookies. They have a tradition at this place called the Mohonk Mountain House. At 4 o'clock, they serve you tea and cookies. And it was very crowded that day, so I went out on the dock, on the deck, and I'm eating my tea and cookies, and this nice, burly, six-foot-two Irishman sits down next to me, and we start having a conversation. And one thing leads to another, and he says, well, young man, what are you doing here today? And I tell him that I'm a chiropractor, and I'm, I'm a chiropractor to this family called the Smileys, and I have a cottage on the property, and I've been coming here for 40 years, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, what are you doing here? He says, well, I'm a minister. I said, oh. And then he says to me, where do you come from, young man? And I said, well, I come from a town in North Jersey. He says, well, what's the name of your town? And I live in a town called Waldwick. Not a popular town. People don't know about it. But all the towns around me are famous, like Paramus. You ever hear Paramus, New Jersey? Of course no, you do, right? No, but I'm new here. I live in California, so I don't uh, well, know. There's a, so I start mentioning all the towns around me, but not my town. He finally says, I bet I know the town you come from, young man. I said, well, how do you know? He says, because you didn't mention the town that I was the mayor of. You come from mm. Waldwick, I bet. So I said, yeah, I do. 
At which point he, he says, stand up, let me give you a hug. I was the mayor of your town, he tells me. I said, wow. no, you just told me you were a minister. He says, yeah, I used to be, <laughs> I used to be the mayor of your town. But he said, what happened to me was I was a very successful businessman. And I had um, gotten diagnosed with terminal cancer. And they told me I would only have six months to live. And then he said, my path drew me to religion. And through religion, he said, I had a spontaneous healing. They call it spontaneous remission. I got Jesus Christ from my head to my heart, and my cancer went away. The doctors were amazed. He said, at which point I sold my business, I left the town, and I became a minister. And that's what I'm doing here at the Mohonk Mountain House today. I'm, I'm one of the keynote speakers at this conference we're having. One thing leads to another. We, we become cordial. I said, what's your name? He tells me his name, Emmett Johnson. And I said, boy, I, I don't remember that name, uh, but I'm going to check you out and see if you're telling me the true story. So the next day I go to get a haircut in my next town, uh, which borders my town, a place called Hohokus. And my mm -hmm. little barber knows everybody. He knows the whole world, Dominic and Pietro. He actually wound up being the barber to President Nixon, believe it or not. And, and that's a whole other story. But I'm in the chair. He's cutting my hair. And I said, hey, Dom, did you ever hear this guy, Emmett Johnson? He's telling me he was the mayor of my town. I, I never heard of him. And, and uh, would you believe this? On deck to get his hair cut was the former chief of police of my town, Danny Lupo. And Danny Lupo says, hey, Ken, I, I know Emmett Johnson. I says, oh, how do you know him, Danny? He says, well, I'm going to tell you a story. My first day on the job as a rookie cop many, many years ago, the first call I got was to the home of Emmett Johnson. And wow. I walked into his house, and when I walked out, his baby died in my arms on the way to the hospital. Now, what was the likelihood of me meeting Emmett Johnson one day and the next day asking my barber about did he ever hear of him and the chief of police chiming in that he knew him and this is how and he started to cry by the way the chief remembered that incident in his life fast forward 35 years later i'm i'm voting i told you the old lady was registering me i asked her about the pictures i go around the room i find emmett johnson's photograph mm -hmm. and i take a picture with my camera I walked back to the woman. I said, you're not going to believe this, but I'm going to tell you a story about Emmett Johnson. So I tell them the story I just told you. And they're listening intently. And as soon as I finish the story, she drops the pencil. She looks at me like she saw a ghost. And she says that the Dr. Harris turn around. Emmett Johnson is walking into the voting room. Wow. 35 years later. He was now 95 years old. I would have walked right by him and never knew who he was. He was about five inches shorter on a walker, but he had his marbles totally intact. And I went over to him, and I reminded him that I had met him 35 years previously. And 35 years ago, he had cancer too, right? He re went into complete remission when he had That's a religious amazing conversion. Too. That's amazing. But yeah. I would have walked right by him had I not told the story to these women. Wow. So the other, one of the other ladies Ooh. says to me when she sees this happening, you've got to mind there was no one else in the room but the four of us, Emmett Johnson, his wife, me, and this woman, and the other women, they all looked up. They said, 
is this an April Fool's joke? Did you arrange this? You just finished telling this story about him, and he's walking in on cue. And I said, I didn't arrange it. She said, well, who the hell did? I said, I think it was God. Because what's the mathematical probability of that happening? You tell me. You do the permutation computation that those sequence of events would take place 35 years later on cue. Why did I tell him that day? Why did I ask the question that day? I was intuited by spirit. So what leads me to another question. What purpose, so I think you told me that you're not religious. No, um, I'm not. But you're not. So what if somebody who's religious, like I'm, I'm a Christian, I believe in God, you know, I go to church, I do all that. What about people who believe in God and believe he has a hand in that too? They would call that a God wink. I'm not. I'm not adverse to that, by the way. I, I, I okay. wouldn't discount that. I, I think something or someone or some force or some field yeah. created that. It's not all. There's two ways I think synchronicities happen. One is what I told you, electromagnetic neuroscience. You could create a Wi-Fi. The other way I believe is arranged by non-physical spiritual entities. We're not alone walking our path on this planet. My belief is, I, have, I, I don't believe it, I know it, we have guides. Some people call them angels, some people call them the ancestors, but we're not doing this trip by ourselves. No way, Jose. So I, I, I think both ways can be exp, explanatory as to why these things happen. It's neuroscience and it is metaphysics. It could be, the, it could be what you call God or it could be the organizing intelligence I don't like to use the word God, Billy, only because we're going to start fighting over who's God. Is it Muhammad? Yep. Is it Buddha? Is it Jesus? And I don't yep. want to get involved in that brawl. I agree of, with you. I agree with you. And you know what? That's why the aliens don't come here anymore. You know why? They fly by our planet. They see all these wars going on, and they say, hey, <laughs> we're not going down there until they figure out whose God is right. Because yeah. in the name of God, so much has been done that has hurt humanity, unfortunately. That's true. So I stay away from the word God, although... There's other stories in my book where I think it was arranged by that organizing field intelligence, that it didn't happen because I created it. Well, I know you've talked about some synchronous events through the book and stuff, a little bit about that. I'm going to ask you a question that just popped in my head. Do you think there's a synchronous event? You, you told me you're married, right? I am, 51 years to so the same woman. Was there a synchronistic event with that? Because most people, you know, kind of have a moment with that. And I was curious what that might be. I have a feeling there's well, there a story was. with that with you. Well, there is. And I'm going to do a series of these books. One of them is going to be Synchronicities, How I Met My Spouse. Oh, because yeah. Because when I meet a lot of couples and, and we start talking, we always say, you know, out of curiosity, how'd you guys meet? And some of the stories are mind-blowing, how, how, how people met each other many times after many years of not seeing one another. Many people were childhood sweethearts. They went on their path. They married other people. The people either died or they got divorced, and then they met again. Mm-hmm. So I met my wife because during the... Um, like uh, Harry 19- met Sally. Well, during the 1970s, I, uh, <laughs> I, I, had, I was graduating from uh, Queens College with a B.A. in psychology, and I wanted to go on to become a school psychologist. So I was applying to graduate school. However, the Vietnam War was going on, you know, in that period. And I didn't really feel motivated to want to go and kill anybody. I'm not a pacifist, but I didn't feel that that was mm-hmm. a war I wanted to participate in. So the opportunity came up. If you took a 12-credit crash course 
you could get a teaching certificate and get a 2A deferment. So that's what I did. My uncle knew a principal. He says, take the course over the summer. I'll get you a job in the fall, and you won't have mm-hmm. to go away into the, into the war. So I did that. In one of the classes, I sat down next to my wife, Judy, in an education mm-hmm. class. The, then we went on spring break. The very next class, I sat down next to her again twice. Well, our seats were right next to each other, at which point I asked her out, and the rest is history. Uh, you know, but I mean, it was arranged that I would meet her sequentially two, two semesters in a row in, in an education class, which I had no intention of taking other than getting my teaching certificate. So that, that's how it was, I think, arranged. Now, her father was a chiropractor. I didn't even know what a chiropractor was. I couldn't spell it, never mind mm-hmm. understand what they did. And he gave me an adjustment because I was experiencing allergy, an allergy attack at the time, and my allergy attacks had faded. It stopped. And I got curious, but because of meeting Judy and meeting her father and her grandfather, who was also a chiropractor, I became one, and that was my path. So what, I didn't what know your, even what it was when I met her. <laughs> in regards to your wife, what does she think about the book, your book and all that? I'm sure you share. Well, she could tell you the stories verbatim. She was present. Half of the stories in my book, she was with me when they happened. So I was so happy that I didn't have to come home and tell her what happened because she was standing right there when it did happen. So so she can uh, verify, testify, swear in the Bible that the stories are true as I wrote them. Uh, and when, when and if you read the book, you, you will not believe the so-called coincidences. They, they were not mathematics, Billy. No way, Jose. Slim to none would be the chances. So I'm, I would bet you're similar to me that when you go out in public, you end up talking to strangers for long periods of time, and you kind of lose track of stuff, and you're like, some, you might be somewhere you need to be, but you end up talking to somebody for a while because you seem like you be, you're very you know, outgoing and extroverted, and you do that. Do you have those kind of conversations with people all the time? All the time. At this point in our life cycle, Judy says, I'll see you later, Ken. <laughs> she keeps walking. <laughs> she doesn't hang around. You know, and then I tell the people, she's heard the story a hundred times. She doesn't want to hear it again. But it's just going to be the first time for you. Now, here's what happens, Billy. Invariably, when I meet someone, a stranger, you know what a stranger is? A friend I haven't met yet. Everybody's yeah. my mm-hmm. friend in my consciousness. They're so-called strangers, but they're really not invariably when I tell someone a story, you know what they say? Hey, Doc, can I tell you mine? Everybody's got a story. I love oh, it. Yeah. The, the number one thing to have more synchronicity in your life is to talk to strangers. Yeah. Because yeah, we agree you're going to get a message. You're going to get a message. They pay it to, and then when you talk to them, pay attention to what they're telling you. I, I like to think of it as God is in disguise talking through the stranger mm. to me, giving me signs and symbols of what I should be doing next or maybe what I should not be doing next. So I pay attention. I tell my story, and then I get big ears. I know it's hard to believe because I talk so much, but I do listen, and I get a lot of good information from the so-called strangers of where I should be and what I shouldn't be doing next. There's so always always. Were you always talking to a lot of people before you wrote the book? Is that pretty much you've always done your whole life? You stop and talk to lots of people? I've always been a friendly guy. I'm half Irish, Billy. And, you know, we like to talk. You know, 
Yeah. Irish people are very gregarious. My mother was that way. And my father was Hebrew, and he didn't talk to anybody. But he was a really smart dude. But my mother had a heart of gold, and she would meet people and talk all the time. So I guess I got, uh, I got that mentored in my life through my mother. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, you know, everyone, everyone here has gifts to give you. Listen, pay attention. Yep, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, I do it in a different way. Like I'm you know, through my hug out of America, I've talked to thousands of people on the streets, hear every kind of story you can imagine. And, you know, and also those stories, for me at least, they energize me and give me strength to help through things I might be going through and to keep me moving forward into finding out more and more about people. Because, like, like, you know, we're social creatures. I mean, even if you're an introverted, and I think what people are learning during this crisis is even introverts are having a hard time, right? Because we're not I, able I to interact agree. with people. Yeah. My human, wife touch is, is an, yeah. human touch is innate to human beings. This yeah. whole idea of saying six feet away and no, never handshaking and hugging, that's the saddest part of this whole crisis, that people will not be going anytime soon back to shaking each other's hand or hugging. Now, I'm going to tell you something about hugging. When you hug another human being, you are exchanging energy and information at the subconscious level. There's a whole yeah. conversation going on that you're not even aware of. And you can tell, if you're a hugger like I am, I can tell in a nanosecond a lot about that person. If they've been wounded, if they've been damaged, if they, if they have an open heart, if they have a closed heart, you can tell by their body posture, you can tell by the feeling of the exchange of the information from the hug. So hugging is... is Chock full of information. That's all I can tell you. And uh, I, I'm sad. I, I will ask people permission when the endem- pandemic is uh, so-called lifted for permission because I'm not afraid of that they're going to give me the virus. That's my own personal belief. I'll honor everybody's boundaries, uh, but I will ask. And if they're open to it, I'm going to go back to hugging personally. That's that's me. I, w- I will agree with you somewhat. I-, I will say that there are plenty of people that – may just have a hard time with hugging, that you may get a wrong read with them on a hugging and who they're about. And, and the reason I say that is because I'm a person that didn't hug before at all. I had a hard time even hugging my mom. And I'm sure there are lots of people out there that people could misread in that way. Um, but I do think it's vitally important, and I'm sure you know to to have pure therapeutic value, you have to hug more than 20 seconds and that's that's what you have to do. My question is, and I, this is what I'm, I bet you hope too. Maybe after this, and we talked about this briefly, is we handshake less and we start hugging more because the handshake is the way to transmit germs. There's not really much body to body, skin to skin contact through a hug. So, so if we can get people to hug more, there will be less, less, you know, less germs being. I mean, I did a whole right before we went into this whole thing. I'd go around, and a person I would ask them. I go ask me, you know, ask them, what do you think transmits more love, a hug or a handshake? And they'd say, oh, a hug. And they say, I'd ask them, so what transmits more germs? This is before the virus. What transmits more germs, a hug or a handshake? And sometimes they go a handshake, and then somebody go hug. Oh no, actually, it's a it's a hug. So if hugs transmit less germs and they spread more love. It's a no-brainer what we should be doing in this world, right? Well, I love that. Bi- I love that. This, maybe maybe that will happen, Billy. I know in India, you know, the Indians, and, and not, not, not American Indians, but the Indians from India, they do a thing called namaste, 
where they clasp their own hands and they bow to each other. Are you familiar with that salutation, the namaste I've salutation? It. I've heard it. I don't know a lot about it. I hear it all the time. I don't know uh, much well, about what it, it means is I see and recognize the light in you is the same light in me, and in that light we are one. Or the God in you is the God in me, and in that space we are one. But they, my friend, Indian Fred, friend told me, he said, hey, Ken, we do that because India is full of germs, so we clasp our own hands and bow to each other. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't know if he's telling me the truth or not. But here's the deal with hugging. Uh, the reason you got to hold 20 seconds is there's a hormonal release called oxytocin. Yep. Once you engage in that and the fields merge, there's an actual neural transmission and a hormonal release from the pituitary gland of oxytocin, which is the feel-good or God hormone. It's the hormone that initiates uh, the birth of a child. When the baby's ready to be born, it sends an impulse through the placenta to the mother's yep. pituitary, and the pituitary gland sends oxytocin to the uterus, mm -hmm. and it starts the contractions and helps to push the baby out into the world. So there's, there's a lot of neuroscience that supports a lot, of, a lot of things that the indigenous peoples innately knew. They also ate the umbilical cord because you know, they knew after birth, yeah. the afterbirth was full of all the vitamins and minerals. They also never cut it right away. They would milk it because it had all the antibodies to make the baby stronger. And, of course, they breastfed, which also gave them immunity. So a lot of those so-called old ways are the good ways. And neuroscience now and, and, and chemical science is validating it. But like everything else, you know, it's all, everything goes around, comes around. Uh, I think we'll go back to hugging. I hope we do uh, once the fear level is, is diminished. And the germ theory is a whole other thing. I don't want to get off on that now. But germs yep. alone will cause you to be sick. You need to have yep. a weakened host and a germ. You need both. The germ alone right now, Billy, this is medical science. If I was to swab your nasopharynx, the triangle of death it's called, I would find right now pneumococci, streptococci, meningiococci in you, and you don't have any of those diseases because your body is living in symbiotic relationship with them, keeping them in check. It's not that they're going to be exposed to you. You already got them. You already yep. got them. Now yep. we know the brain gut, the microbiome, and the brain are part of our immune system. We never knew that before. This is the latest science coming out. And, and now we're able to make a substance called interferon, which they've been trying to inject into cancer people to, to yep. uh, boost their immunity. So the, the last word hasn't been said, but this body of ours was created by something. I'll call it the OI, God, the Organizing Intelligence, the field. And we're just beginning to learn how it really works. We've been yeah. guessing for many, many years. And one thing on the hug that I want to touch back on what you said about the the release of of, of the hormone endorphin to make you feel better. I mean, I know a lot of people doubt it. I actually, honestly, I doubted the 20-second hug or 30-second hug for a while, and I was on my hug tour, and I decided to do it. And I was like, because I liked hugging. I was like, is it really going to have that much difference if it's 20 seconds or more? And I can honestly say, you know, and going all the states I went to, probably hugging 50 people for 30 seconds or more, half of those people came up crying. People I didn't know at all, tears running down their face from the emotion that created. So saying that this is just this science, whether you believe it or not, believe it that I've seen it firsthand 
over and over. I understand. From men understand. to women to kids to everybody. And I know you get it, but I don't think a lot of people get it, and they try to, oh, yeah, whatever. But I promise you, if they do that, if they go out there and hug those people, they will feel that magic and what it feels like to do that. So I agree 100%, Billy. You know, you're talking to the choir here. I, yeah. I got it. I've experienced it. Now, just for the doubting Thomases who are listening, this has been measured on neuroscience. They can take your blood before and after, and they can show an elevation of oxytocin in the people who have hugged. So this yeah. is not hearsay. Okay, this is, if you want evidence-based, hardcore science, we know we can measure the change in the level of oxytocin after 20 seconds of a hug. Well, I got a challenge for you, Ken. <laughs> okay, give it to me. <laughs> and I don't. I, it, it's definitely a challenge. So, have you ever heard of something called a trust hug? Have I done it? You know what it is? Well, I've done a trust where I fall back into into people who catch me. No. On a ladder, you, you 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 go up on a ladder. I've done a a, a, a trust fall. It's called. Yeah, and then you turn your yeah. back to a group, and then you just let go, and you, you trust that they're going to catch you. I've done that. This is different, and I, and I think okay. you, you, should, you should try it. As obviously, all right, tell me what it we, is. Once we clear all this out, you go on the street. First, you have to agree, and I think you wouldn't have a problem hugging strangers. You go on the street, and you put a blindfold around your, around your eyes. You hold your arms out. In a in a public place, and you put a sign that says out, "Trust me, I'm here to hug you," and hold your hands out and see how many people hug you and how that feels. Hugging people come up to you when they can't when you can't see them. I would be I would be very happy to do that. However, I think it's going to be a long time after the pandemic that anyone is even going to come within six feet of me. <laughs> I know, I know. This is a long term synchronicity thing to happen. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, because um, I, 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 I just thought about. It. I never thought about asking somebody to do that till you. And I think maybe it's something you might want to do. Um, I will definitely put it on my to-do list, on my bucket list. I, I have no problem. Now, you call them strangers. I just told you there are no strangers. I know, I know. Yep, there no, they're just it's friends, just friends I, haven't I haven't met, met yet. Yep, and I agree <laughs> with you that 1,000%. Um, well, here's how I operate, Billy, just so you know. My consciousness is that there's really only one spirit, one God, one energy differentiated in 7.8 billion people called humans. So when I see you, my, my perception is you are really me in another body. So there's only really one of I'd be hugging myself by hugging you. That's well, my consciousness. Okay. That's a little different because the illusion of the ego-based mind is we're separate. Now, if yep. you went on my website, I think you did, and yep. I think you put it in the ad here, I'm here to wake, to wake people up from the illusion of separation back to the reality of oneness. Mm-hmm. And when we get that, Billy, if people wake up to that truth, we will not have wars. There will no be no so-called other. We won't hurt one another. We'd want to help each other. There'd be no sense of fear from another person because that person is really you in another body. We're not skin encapsulated. We're not just a physical body. That would be huge. That would be right up there with uh, 
curing cancer and and world peace and all the things you're talking about. Right. That, well, that, that was, that, that's my vision. Awaken people to the memory that we all came from the one. And you know what, Billy? I believe when we drop our bodies, when we call the so-called death of the physical body, we all uh-huh. go back to the one. So we're really, we're really only walking each other home. I had a teacher, his name is Ramdas, and he wrote a book called Walking Each Other Home. And that's really what this, I think this whole life path is. And the prime mission in being alive, in my opinion, is to learn how to give and receive love. That's, that's, the, big, that's the big picture. Yep. That's the big, everything else is drama. So why did I write the book? I wanted people to remember they were not alone, that they're being guided, and that there is purpose to their lives. Do you think you would have written the book if you had the heart attack? Uh, attack. I don't know. The heart attack came after the book. I think I got the heart attack. I had a heart attack after, but but uh, I was pretty open hearted. I didn't need to have a heart attack to open my heart. I I've always had a heart. <laughs> I, um, I, I, don't I got a, I got a heart attack for three reasons. I know because I uh, I have a, a, a genetic history. My gene got turned on. My father had three of them, so I have the mm-hmm. predisposition. I was diabetic and I didn't know it, and I was eating junk. And I was stressed out with getting the book published and promoted, and I just tipped myself over the over the edge. But now I've lost 15 pounds. I haven't I haven't deviated from my diet. I'm very strict on my dietary program, and I have no fear. The other thing, when I had the heart attack, you know what I discovered, Billy? Mm-hmm. It's okay to die. I had no fear. When, mm-hmm. when they were working on me, I was watching them as they were working on me, and I was so so thankful. Number one, that 15 strangers did everything they could to keep me alive, and they did. And, and my next book is going to be called Extra Innings, A Reprieve from Sudden Death, because everything had to work up synchronistically to save my life. I should not have survived this heart attack, but I was spared. I believe, again, by divine something. I, I would personally say by divine providence, my life was wow. spared. Because I, I got a lot of, I got a lot, a lot of information I got to live leave before I go. My friend Wayne Dyer, who I had the privilege of being a friend with, and I actually became his chiropractor, he always said, don't die with your music unplayed, Ken. Play all yeah. your music, and like then go that. home. Like that. Yeah. Play that so, playlist. So, loud and proud. Yeah. yeah, so I feel I have more music to play, and I'm so thankful. I was thankful before. I'm even more thankful now for each and every day uh, of uh, of consciousness. And, and the gift of life. This is a gift. To be alive yeah. is a gift. I, 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 when people start complaining, particularly in the Western world, I want to give them a slap upside their head and say, hey, wake up. You know, you've got so much to be thankful for. That's one of the things I do every day. I say three prayers of thankfulness, and I have a thankful gratitude list. You should well, you start know, your day. Don't I, listen to the news. Start your day with thankfulness. But I, I think it's easy to do that. And I, honestly, what I think about is the guy I told about we had on the show, um, Kurt um, Payne, who basically almost lost his life, now has a permanent brain injury, lost his wife and his kid, yet he still spreads positivity and love and sees the positivity. And I think about all the struggles that he goes through, that we got to see the, the positive and the little things in life that he sees that most, some of us don't see. So I agree with you. you got to look at the positive of things and, and how we can do all the good things in the world. Um, so, yeah, I agree with you on that 100%. Yeah, I was uh, I was privileged also to get to know this fellow Ramdas. Now a lot of people don't know who he is, but he was the guy who wrote "Be Here Now." He was a hippie, 
Uh, he was a professor at Harvard University. He was a guy with Timothy Leary who introduced LSD to the Western world, mm-hmm. but he went on a spiritual journey. And uh, I spent time with him now. When I met him, uh, he was in a wheelchair, in diapers, paralyzed, had aphasia, could hardly finish his sentences. But I was in the presence of unconditional love being with him. I never experienced a feeling like that in my entire life. I knew my parents loved me, but the love that he had for me was unconditional. My parents loved me with some conditions, as Mm -hmm. most parents do. But being in his presence, he could have complained about everything, and never would you feel one ounce of regret or fear or complaint in his presence. So I was blessed to get through, and I write about it in my book, too. There's a whole chapter how I met him and why I met him and how it was arranged for me to meet him. But what a gift. He, he changed my, he was another person who changed my energetic field forever. And so whenever I think about complaining, I think about Ramdas. He never complained about anything. And he had plenty yeah. to complain about if he so choose. So when people start going to the pity party, I, I just kind of I feel for them because they're they're not really seeing what's present with them and how blessed yep. they are, how really blessed they are. And then you hear the stories like your friend and other people. Some people are born with no arms and no legs and they become yep, athletes. Exactly. You know, there's there's a million of those stories out, and other people are complaining. You know, it just makes no sense, in my well, opinion. I feel sorry for them. I have compassion for them if they're complaining. Well, Ken, I, I have a, a call on the line. Maybe they have a question. you want to take a call real quick? I'll take whatever you got. Bring it on. Okay. Hold on just a minute. Hug it out, America Radio. Hey, Billy, this is Pamela. I missed part of it, and then I listened for a while, then I missed part because uh, my son has called me. But um, uh, is he able to hear me now? Yep. I can hear He's you on the line. We, we had problems. Okay, with the yeah, hi. Um, I'm real pleased for uh, what I have heard, and um, I love that you're um, that it's all about thankfulness and focusing on the positive. Billy and I have been very close, and we I have all, just recently like when one door slams, the other door opens. It's nothing but an opportunity. I mean, I'm a Christian, and a lot of what you're talking about, I would say that there are appointments, divine appointments, um, because I'm not as astute at the, I know what an aura is, for example, but we know that um, you want to hang around people that think positively. And I know also that if there's somebody that's very toxic you have to cut yourself off and stop doing that, unless you're married to them, in which case you better work on it. Um, also, I agree absolutely that you start with yourself, because I know women, they can't stand their husband, they're getting a divorce, they don't know what they're doing, and as soon as they work on their own issues, it changes. And I believe that God can do anything, all things are possible, you also quoted something that I have on my kitchen wall. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So I just wanted to put that twist on it because I know that you did mention the word blessings, and I think a lot of it does jive because um, we are attracted to people for a reason. It gives a purpose to our lives, and I think you're right. Every stranger is a friend that you haven't met yet. So I absolutely want to read your book. Thank you. I would uh, I would have to say I agree with everything you just said. It was no well, question. You, it was pretty much a, a beautiful statement of the truth. 
<laughs> well, and, and a lot of it, I, uh, I honor all your expertise, but a lot of it also comes out in, like, for example, the 12-step programs. Go back and apologize. Work on forgiveness. Don't become embittered. What can you do to improve? This whole, I mean, the whole world is, is thinking that they're a victim. And if we can just stop that kind of stuff and get people the help they need. But I always say to Billy and everybody else that wants to listen, you can lead a horse to water. You cannot make them drink. True, true. So I would say when you come into a new situation, Pamela, the first question you should ask yourself, and I'm sure you do, is how can I help here? What can I do to help somebody else? Not what's in it for me. See, the voice of the soul is, I want to be of help, of service. And the voice of the ego is, what am I going to get out of this? So people who think like you and me, when we show up, we're there to help. We're not there to get anything. Yeah, and, and I, I just had a conversation with Billy one-on-one. I was talking about the three ego states, you know, the child, the parent. I had to have transactional analysis a long time ago. And it makes a lot of sense. And I do believe we have, I know you call it the spirit world, and then, um, you know, that would, if somebody, if I mention even the word God, it'll turn off a lot of people who go like, I'm not listening to this hooey, you know. So it's good to be fairly generic, but if you can't be thankful, especially living, like you said, in the Western culture. I've always said to people, walk a mile in, because we as human beings are also quick to judge, quick to be critical, and I'm now talking about myself. Well, I, I, I would, again, say I agree with what you just said. There's no question here. I'm, I'm going to give you an affirmation. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's a great well, show, Billy. You, you really know how to pick these wonderful speakers and uh, turn the <laughs> world you. on, Billy. Clark. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it, Pamela. Yep. Yeah, have a I've got to run, so thanks for taking my call. No problem. Have a good day. Bye. Bye, Pamela. Bye, Ken. Bye-bye. Okay, Ken, back to what we I, I had a question for you that crossed my mind. It doesn't have a lot to do with your book. I am going to read your book, and that's a big thing because Dan's been trying to get me to read this book about money that's about – you know, as big as a comic book, and I still hadn't read it for him. But I'm I'm going to put your book on my to-do list <laughs> for sure. It's a quick I, read, Billy. It's only 160 pages, and it's uh, 22 stories of what happened to me. And if they go on my website, which is Dr. Ken Harris, D-O-C-T-O-R, KenHarris.com, uh-huh. they'll get a five-page printout, a free printout of a synopsis of the 765 formula for synchronicity, the seven types, the six reasons we meet people, the five questions we ask for interpretation, and the four practices to have more of them. And that's a freebie that we give out if someone gives us their email address so we have an ongoing opportunity to communicate with them. We give a free monthly newsletter, and you can buy the book either on my website or you can buy it on Amazon. It's called Synchronicity, the Magic, the Mystery, the Meaning. And I would guess that you, you this would kind of messing you up too because you can't go on book tours right now, right? I'm going to do. I, I had about a dozen of them all lined up. They're all going to become uh, what we call Zoom calls. <laughs> We're going to do them in, in, yeah, a, uh, Zoom, in an interview-like right? manner, but we'll be on on.
on a computer where we can see each other and people can ask questions. I yeah, do that's all like, been revamped. I like Zoom, but I, I really, I, the reason I picked a radio show, because I, like, I really like voice-to-voice, especially because you could sit there, you know, I can be in my underwear, you can be wherever, <laughs> but, but it's a matter of what, what comes on your in your mind, we're having a conversation about you can't get distracted by anything, but you hear just the words of that person, right? There's no distractions around you, you know, all that stuff. So that's that's why I picked radio. I mean, I, I kind of like Zoom, but I kind of like this idea where I'm talking like we're sitting down having a drink, me and you, and just talking. And the world can tune in. They can turn their chair around and listen to what we're saying, right, at the same I think table. Both, plat- yeah, both platforms are valuable in different circumstances. They're both useful. Yeah, yeah, I I I agree. My, my my the question I want to ask you is, if you're going to write a book, like you you talked to me briefly about, I should write a book um, because I have a lot of stories. What? How do you go about it? You just sit down and write. I mean, how'd you get it published and all that? I know that's not what we were supposed to talk about, but I was really curious. Well, I. I uh... I started taking notes when these things happened. I, I, I would sit down, because you'll forget soon if you don't write it down. So when something really, uh, I had these aha moments in my life of meeting, the lady says, through divine appointment, certain people, I started just writing little short stories to myself to remember. And then I, over time, I, had, I, I only put 22 in the book. I got another 30 of them that I could put in a second book. But the publisher said, keep it simple the first time around. Uh, I, I hired a publishing company uh, to help me through the process because it's quite a process from A to Z to get a book published. So I yeah, have the expertise how to do it. Uh, so I can't give you a lot of uh, uh, technical information, but it took six months back and forth, back and forth, and I had three different editors I worked with, which is also very, very helpful. Uh, they cleaned up some of my verbose stories they made them shorter because i like as you can see i like to talk and they said well you'll get lost you'll you'll lose people so uh editing is is critical if you get a good editor and a good graphic designer it'll help to really uh, get your book out there into the world and i i i was blessed i won i won number one in three categories on amazon for my book that's great and it's it's not around the world now because amazon has a big platform i i sell in europe canada uh, Asia, it's been everywhere. Australia, and I'm getting stories. I ask people to send me their stories, so I'm going to do, as I told you before, another book called Synchronicities: How I Met My Spouse, because those yeah, stories that's... of how people meet and find one another, they're fascinating. They are just some of the, the most bizarre things that, again, defy mathematics or probability and statistics. You I think know that's, that certain I think that's people. A great idea for a book. Yeah. Yeah, certain people were divinely appointed to meet each other. And some, as I said, as high school sweethearts, go to college, get married to other people, and then at the end of their life, meet again. And and it's just so delicious to hear these stories. They're heartwarming. Well, it's like, and I mentioned it before for a second, but it's like a longer version of when Harry met Sally, when they'd have all these couples that would come out through the movie in between and tell how they met. And that was yes. one of the great things about that movie is they get these great stories and meet in elevators and whatever it is. But I think that's right. a I agree. Idea. I agree. So I ask people on my website to please send me how you met each other. There's a place there you can submit your story. Yeah, and that's, I'm getting them. Good. They're trickling in. They're trickling in. But I, I will definitely publish a sequel. 
Well, me and my wife met um, swing dancing, and honestly, I don't even think she remembers it. <laughs> I was like, did we meet swing dancing or did we meet at a party? I'm like, we, we met swing dancing. You sure? Yeah, I, I remember. You, you were scared to dance with me because I was so bad. <laughs> so, yeah, we all kind of remember those things, but it's good to get those things out. But, well, it's good having you on the show today. I would did want to ask you one more, one more question. I know you told me one little story, but is is there some story that sticks out? You said you had twenty stories on there from your from your book. Is that what you said? Yeah, twenty two different stories. Yeah, twenty two. I'm sorry, twenty two. Is there one that sticks out the most? Um, well, that... there are several that will bring tears to my eyes when I read them. Uh, when I read them uh, back, you know, because I've done a couple of uh, on-site book signings, and I would pick a story. And uh, recently, I was in Florida, and I I read it, and in the middle of the story, I had to stop. Uh, because it brought tears to my eyes. I actually relived wow. the story. And if you want, it's not a long story. I can. I don't know if we have enough time. I can read that story now. Got a little time. I got about ten minutes left in the show, so I have to. Ten minutes. Time. Okay. So let me let me see. This will only take maybe five. Let me see. Uh, page ninety-nine. Hold on. Hold on. Well, hope y'all are enjoying hearing from Ken today. We had a little, I don't know if y'all earlier, we had a little technical difficulties. He's going to get the book. Um, I'm enjoying hearing what he's saying here. So I think he's going to come back and tell us a little bit about the book. And tomorrow we've, we've got a, a discussion with Renee McKenna, who's a woman I met in, who lives in California, a huge free spirit. She's an artist, a healer. She's a, a therapist. She's an amazing woman. She's done some amazing things. I'm looking forward to having her on the show tomorrow. And then Friday we have a discussion about what people are doing to bring our connection not on a screen, not on Zoom calls, not on Facebook Live, not on Twittering or whatever you do on social media, but things you are doing in the world that people are doing to bring connection in our world that does not fall through. It's a hard thing to do in this crisis time, but there are people out there doing it, and we're going to bring those as people in. They're going to talk about it on Friday on our show. So that's basically a rundown of what we're doing. Maybe Ken's back now. Okay, I'm back. So I'm going okay, to read a story. And, and, and this one I entitled, it was a simple title. They all have different titles. But this one was called Beyond Coincidence. And there's a little quote in the beginning of the story. It says, I believe there are no random meetings in our lives that everyone we touch who touches us has been put in our path for a reason. One Friday afternoon, I finished my morning hours at my office. I stayed late to copy some papers that my accountant had requested earlier in the day. Normally, our morning hours would end around 1230, so I turned off the lights for all appearances. The office looked completely closed. At 1.10, I heard a car pull into the parking lot. I recognized the driver as a patient, and when he got out of the car, I could see by the way he was standing that he was in need of my services. I hesitated for a moment and questioned whether to open the door or pretend I wasn't in. After all, it was my lunch hour, and time was getting short before I would need to return for the afternoon hours. I decided to open the door and greeted the man warmly. When he realized that the office was closed, he apologized for the intrusion and offered to come back during my regular office hours. I quickly assured him that it was no problem, and I took him into my office to see what I could do to help him. 
The patient, a policeman, told me that he had a difficult night on the job. He responded to an auto accident and had helped extricate two young men from a serious collision. He had been bent over for over an hour and a half in one position, supporting one of the trapped victims. Soon after the workers created enough space to move the man the officer was supporting, the man hemorrhaged and died in his arms. Mm. The officer, who was also a CPR instructor, tried desperately to save his life, but it was all to no avail. The young man died despite all his energies and efforts. The emotional trauma the officer had suffered was obvious. I asked him if he had an opportunity to grieve and release the tension through crying. He indicated that he had not. I quietly placed him face down on my adjusting table and prepared him for an adjustment. I placed one hand on the back of his head and the other hand on his lower back, closed my eyes, and found a still point of focus and shared an attunement or energetic healing with this patient. After several moments of stillness between us, his irregular breathing changed to sighs. Then quickly came deep crying. In stillness, I allowed what needed to be released to be let go of. After several more moments, I helped him sit upright and spoke to him gently in words of consolation and understanding. A healing had occurred between us. We returned to the reception room And while we were talking, I opened the door to greet another one of my patients and invited her in. As they passed each other, they exchanged greetings. One entered, the other left. The second patient seemed pale and distraught. I took her into my adjusting room and asked her what was wrong. She began to tell me of a close friend with whom she had worked. Her friend's two sons had been involved in a serious car accident the night before. One son had died, and the other was still in critical condition. She said she was passing my office. She felt compelled to come in. The news of the accident had created such an emotional reaction that her neck and back felt strained strained and tense, and she knew immediately that we could help reduce the tension. As life would have it, I soon discovered that these two patients were part of the same event. The police officer who had just left my office was the one who attended the two sons of the second patient's friend. Here we were, all involved in the outcome of this event. I adjusted her and advised her to to bring some comfort and healing to her friend. We shouldn't be surprised when the so-called coincidences occur, for one spirit is in operation in everyone, everywhere. The conscious mind could not have arranged all the factors involved to result in such a synchronicity as this. Spirit, invisible yet tangible, was at work, orchestrating all the various factors necessary for our paths to cross, to touch, and to bless one another. Both patients had felt compelled to come to my office within minutes of each other, even though neither one had appointments and the office was officially closed. Although I had been treating them both for several years, they never met before my office. I never met the woman whose sons had been in the accident, but having been privileged to touch these two patients, I felt connected to her through them. Life has a magic all its own. I'm glad my accountant called that morning 
and I am thankful I stayed late and responded to the need at hand. Opportunities to serve do come continuously and unexpectedly. Wow, that's nice. That's an awesome story, Ken. I'm glad you shared that. That's super powerful. And so my question shows... is, do you think that's mathematics? No. <laughs> you think that was a mathematical probability? <laughs> no, no 2 plus 2 going on there, any other Pythagorean theorem or anything else. Yeah, definitely. Uh, they were compelled. Ooh. They were intuited by spirit yeah. to come and get help. I mean, the fact that you compelled to come in, that's powerful. Very powerful stuff, and I'm I'm sure the book is powerful throughout. And I, you know, I I look forward to reading it. And I'm going to challenge you after I read this book. You got to do the trust hug, man. I'm going to hold you to it when we get the chance. I have no problem. I have no problem. Sign me up. (laughs) (laughs) I'll do it wholeheartedly. I I would love it, actually. I have no uh, no uh, no fear or no concern about blindfolding myself and putting my hands out. If, if, if you look, if you look on the internet, put trust hug. You'll see a lot of people. There's actually one where a guy, I think it's in somewhere in the Middle East, hold his hands out, and he was considered a person in that area that a lot of people had a lot of strife towards, and he did it, and it was amazing. All the people that came up to him, just the vulnerability that he showed, people respected that kind of showing the underbelly of who he was. Um, and allowed him to do that. So it was pretty amazing. So anyway, um, it's great having you on today and loved hearing about your book and a little about you and your wife and your when Harry met Sally Park 2 you got coming up in your other book. <laughs> well, Billy, thank you so, so much for uh, yeah. giving me this opportunity to speak to your audience. And I hope uh, I hope our conversation uh, hit the mark with some people and, and gave them some encouragement to uh, to stay open to life. Yeah, take care, and I'll see you soon through Dan. I'm sure I'll get down to New Jersey, and I'll see you right. too. Okay, okay, right, bye bye. Thank you. Bye. Take care. Mm-hmm. So that's another show of Hug It Out America. Hope you had a good time. It was good having him on today and talking about all this stuff. So about his book, great book. Um, And tomorrow, like I said, Renee McKenna will be in talking about her free spirit and all the great things she does in the world. And Friday, a discussion with people who are creating connection beyond the screen. So have a good day, y'all, and uh, hug it out, America, and God bless. Take care. Hope we'll get some warm weather soon. Bye-bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.